Welcome to a brand new episode of the Jam Pack Report today for March the 5th of 2020. And let me tell you, we have a very big piece of news to dive into today. However, this is a video game news show brought to you five days a week, Monday through Friday, right here on YouTube and podcast platforms around the world. So if you enjoy the show, you like what you see, be sure to hit that subscribe button and keep coming back for more. But I can't hold out anymore. Let's just go ahead and dive into today's top piece of news, and that is that The Last of Us TV show is in the works at HBO. The Last of Us director Neil Druckmann will team up with Chernobyl creator Craig Mazin on a television adaptation of The Last of Us for HBO. According to The Hollywood Reporter, Druckmann will be involved in the creation of the HBO The Last of Us series. This is a rarity for video game adaptations as the game creators are not usually directly involved with the adaptation process of their games. Druckmann and Mazin will write and adapt. Naughty Dog president Evan Wells will serve as executive producer alongside Carolyn Strauss, and Sony Pictures Television and PlayStation Productions will co-produce the series for the cable network. Sources told IGN the HBO series will replace the previously announced The Last of Us movie adaptation. Mazin is best known for creating 2019's award-winning series Chernobyl about the nuclear disaster in Ukraine. Mazin is reportedly a fan of video games and has called Druckmann, quote, without question the finest storyteller working in the video game medium, and The Last of Us is his magnum opus. Getting a chance to adapt this breathtaking work of art has been a dream of mine for years, and I'm so honored to do it in partnership with Neil, end quote. Druckmann also commented on the project, saying, From the first time I sat down to talk with Craig, I was equally blown away by his approach to narrative and his love and deep understanding of The Last of Us. With Chernobyl, Craig and HBO created a tense, harrowing, emotional masterpiece. I couldn't think of better partners to bring the story of The Last of Us to life as a television show, end quote. Druckmann confirmed the news in a tweet, and of course, The Last of Us was released on PS3 in 2013, with a PS4 remaster following soon thereafter. Naughty Dog is currently developing The Last of Us Part 2 for the PlayStation 4, which is set to release later this year. And of course, you can find IGN's coverage of The Last of Us Part 2 if you did want to dive in and give it a listen or a watch. This is perfect. Now, I will say right off the bat, I am not sure that we need a Last of Us TV show any more than we need a Last of Us movie because the games uh, do so well in terms of storytelling. And of course, I count uh, the standalone DLC for the original Last of Us as its own separate game in my mind. And then of course, The Last of Us Part Two is going to continue that tradition and probably flesh out the world even more. And so with such... Uh, adequate and above average storytelling within the video game itself, many people are saying, do we even need any kind of expansion of that world in the form of a TV show or a movie? And we don't necessarily need it, uh, but I'm not going to turn it down either because I think if this is in the right hands, which I think if Neil Druckmann is involved in combination with the director of Chernobyl, then it is, we could be seeing something that might very well uh, be one of the best video game television adaptations to date, of which there have been very few successes. So if you are a fan of The Last of Us, you need to stay tuned because HBO is working on a very cool piece of content here for you. And of course, I would say this is going to be coming out late 2021, maybe early 2022 uh, at the earliest. Of course, no dates have been announced at the time of this specific podcast. But hey, we will definitely keep our ear to the ground and I will let you know when you can expect to see The Last of Us TV show hitting your HBO feeds. And of course, hopefully sooner rather than later. 
However, a big piece of news also following that, E3 has lost its creative director three months before the show. I am a big ghost like Padman. What? Okay, the latest company to pull out of E3 is one that's more integrally attached to the show than the likes of Sony or EA ever were. The ESA is making efforts to turn E3 into something more akin to a festival, and part of that is transforming the whole floor experience. Production company IM8Bid was recruited as creative directors in charge of this new E3. Approximately a month after the partnership was revealed, IM8Bid has backed out of the project. On Twitter, IM8Bid wrote, quote, that it has changed, excuse me, decided to resign, and here is the message in full. It is with mixed emotions that IM8Bit has decided to resign as creative directors of what was to be an evolutionary E3 2020 floor experience. We've produced hundreds of gaming and community events, and it was a dream to be involved with E3. We wish the organizers the best of luck. Losing a creative director three months before your convention does not bode well, especially when that role was meant to forge a new direction for the entire attendee experience. Does that leave E3 looking like it did in previous years as the bog-standard video game convention? Can the ESA quickly pivot and realize their vision under a different company's guidance? And will E3 even happen this year? And of course, you can find all of that out as the news continues to roll out. Now, I've said this for the past few days, and I'll say it again. Because of the coronavirus concerns, because of lack of interest, because of so many people pulling out, you should probably just cancel E3 2020. That's what makes the most sense at this point. Uh, of course, for some reason, E3 and the ESA, they refuse to do this. Uh, so it looks like we're going to be having a half-hearted E3 2020 in just a couple of months, which is very disappointing. Uh, but I think that IM8Bit is more than likely pulling out because of a combination of disorganization and also a bit of a concern that the event is going to be canceled either way. Uh, because even if the ESA is not canceling anything as of March, March of 2020, that's not to say they won't cancel in April or even potentially May. Uh, and so imagine putting weeks worth of work into curating a brand new event and then it just gets canceled. If you see the writing on the wall, it kind of makes sense to pull out before you have inserted uh, so many hours into that log. So with that being said, E3 continues to stand on shaky ground just three months before the event itself is set to be held. But one of the games that is going to be at E3, or at least hypothetically was going to be at E3, is Valorant, and that will have a battle pass and sell cosmetics, but will not have loot boxes. We have a confirmation of what you can expect from the microtransactions in the world of Riot's new FPS. Valorant might look a good bit like Overwatch, but it's going a different route with its business model. It's free to play, of course, and while it is fueled by microtransactions, it is at least doing away with loot boxes. Sprays and weapon skins, the confirmed cosmetic so far, will be available to purchase directly from the in-game store or through the battle pass, so while you still need to drop some cash or do a bit of grinding, you will at least know what you are investing your time and money in. Valorant executive producer Anna Donlin also told Polygon that the weapon skins would would be upgradable and that the game boasts a quote couple of different progression systems end quote for now though they will have to remain a mystery you will be able to give your weapons a makeover but valorant is not launching with additional character skins riot's worried about skins making characters harder to recognize giving players a potential edge just because of some cosmetics quote i think character skins would have to be in a way that there's absolutely nothing to impact the gameplay donlin said it will be narrow i think there is a way to do that and those are things that we are interested in exploring. 
The absence of loot boxes is not a big surprise. Their popularity is dwindling, with only 8% of developers in a recent GDC survey reporting that they are making a game with loot box mechanics. They're even getting removed from games. Rocket League recently changed its whole economy just to get rid of them. Valorant is due out this summer. So, this is a good move in the right direction. Of course, we have had many games that are removing their loot box mechanics, and quite frankly, that is the best opportunity uh, and the best route, I would say, for a game to be successful in 2020, uh, because nobody likes randomized mechanics, and quite frankly, although I have seen some complaints about the Battle Pass system, I'm a big fan uh, because I can invest 10 bucks every two to three months and I can get a lot of value for my money in terms of cosmetics, in terms of faster unlocks, whatever it might be. And then if I want to continue investing in that experience, I can do so in roughly $10 chunks. And in the case of Fortnite, I can actually earn enough money in the game to buy the next battle pass. So I really don't have to worry about ever buying another one again if I invest enough time into a specific season. Uh, and so I hope that is going to be the case with Valorant, but overall, uh, the Battle Pass and Cosmetic setup is a pretty good one to have. And of course, we have seen this as a success in games like Modern Warfare, on top of that, as I said, Fortnite, and many others. So it's good to see it getting adopted in Riot's brand new FPS. Of course, we talked about this on, I believe, Monday's episode of the Jam Pack Report, uh, which did go deeper into what Valorant was doing, what Riot is going to be doing in terms of switching up that FPS gameplay. Plenty of new information if you did want to dive in and give it a listen or a watch. Uh, but nonetheless, Valorant will have a battle pass and cosmetics, but no loot boxes when it launches later this summer. Of course, on this show, we do talk about the streamer movements around the industry, and Twitch streamer Pokimane has signed an exclusive deal to stay on the platform. In Maine, Pokimane Annie's, I probably massacred that name, you know Pokimane, one of Twitch's most popular streamers, will remain on the platform thanks to a new exclusive deal with the streaming service. Pokimane made the announcement via a lavish and on-brand hype video, and the video starts with the ubiquitous trailer voice teasing a massive new announcement before Pokimane shows up to tell everyone she is not announcing anything because she is staying on Twitch. Pokimane, who is represented by United Talent Agency, started streaming on Twitch six years ago and has since built one of the platform's largest followings. Very impressive. With nearly 4 million followers, she is one of the top 10 most followed channels. And of course, Pokemane's Twitch success has also translated to other platforms with 4.6 million subscribers on YouTube and the same amount of followers on Instagram. This year, Pokemon, <laughs> Pokemon, my bad, Pokimane announced that she is providing five $50,000 in gifts to the University of California Irvine's eSports department. Apologies for the mispronunciation there. Her decision to stay with Twitch comes after a number of the platform's highest profile streamers have left for exclusive deals with other sites. The wave of departures from Twitch began last summer when Tyler Ninja Blevins signed an exclusive deal with Mixer, and Ninja was followed to Mixer shortly after by Michael Shroud Greshik, while streamers like Jack Courage Dunlop began streaming on YouTube and Jeremy Disguised Host Wang moved to Facebook Gaming. More recently, however, streamers like Benjamin Dr. Lupo Lupo, Saqib, Lyric Zahid, and Tim the Tadman, of course you guys know Tim, have chosen to stay with Twitch. This is not as big of a deal as you might think, but it's interesting to see Twitch throwing down cash to keep these people on board. Now, of course, Pokimane released her announcement video on Twitter and then went to YouTube to talk more about why she chose to stay with Twitch, and she actually revealed some pretty interesting information. As it turns out, Twitch was not the highest bidder. In fact, they offered less 
less, considerably less as compared to the highest bidder, but Pokimane chose to continue sticking with Twitch because of her devotion to the platform and also, in my opinion, its long-term viability. Uh, Twitch is a healthy place to grow a community right now. It's pretty much the go-to place to grow a live streaming community and it pretty much always will be because no competition has been able to truly square up with where Twitch is in the current standings. And so, it makes sense, number one, for Pokimane to stay because she has an established Twitch following. Uh, but on top of that, there was also a pretty big bonus thrown in from the Amazon side of things to keep her streaming on the platform. And for good reason, she racks in those viewers. Uh, but glad to see she's staying. Personally, not really a viewer. Haven't been watching too much Twitch lately just because that's kind of my life now. It is what it is, uh, but glad to hear she is staying put and of course, fantastic and really, uh, really well-respected creator out there. But moving back to gaming news, Ghost of Tsushima now has a release date and it's sooner than you might think, June the 26th. Sony has announced that June the 26th is going to be the release date for a brand new, of course, exclusive Ghost of Tsushima, developed by Sucker Punch, and a new story trailer has also been released. Special collectors and digital deluxe editions of the game were also revealed. The story trailer introduces Jin's uncle, Shimura, the Jito of Tsushima, and according to the description, he has trained Jin since childhood in the ways of the samurai and grows, quote, increasingly concerned by the tactics Jin starts to adopt as he abandons his teachings and becomes the ghost. Another character important to the story is Koten Khan, who is the leader of in the invading Mongol army who uses everything he knows about the samurai to try and destroy them. Multiple editions for Ghost of Tsushima were also announced, and if you pre-order any edition, including the launch edition, you will earn a Jin avatar, a digital mini soundtrack, and a Jin PS4 dynamic theme. Alongside the standard edition is the digital deluxe edition, which includes the following. A digital copy of the game, a Hero of Tsushima skin set, two in-game items, the charm of Hashiman's favor, and one technique point, a Samurai PS4 dynamic theme, a digital mini art book by Dark Horse, and director's commentary as well. And of course, there are two physical editions, the special and collector's editions, which include their own perks, including, you know, steelbook cases, 48-page mini art books, all that good stuff. And of course, you can check out the full rundown of everything you can expect on their official sites. This is much sooner than I expected. Quite frankly, and I said this earlier on Twitter, I expected Ghost of Tsushima to launch sometime around the time that we saw the PlayStation 5, uh, because I thought this would be the first simultaneous release on the PS4 and the PlayStation 5, and that kind of would have made sense, but June 26th, very soon. In fact, just a couple of months away, so hey, if you're looking for something to play over the summer, Ghost of Tsushima uh, looks to be what many PS4 users are going to be there playing. And of course, I think this game is going to be coming to PlayStation 5. I would say it's likely going to be a launch game uh, just because it would be such a shame for Sucker Punch to put that amount of time and effort into a game and then to have it abandoned on the last generation platform would be uh, kind of a waste of funds in a way, no matter how good it sells. Uh, so I would expect this to get some kind of Last of Us treatment where you do have the release on PS4, then roughly maybe six months to a year later, you get it on the PlayStation 5. That sounds good to me. But Ghost of Tsushima coming on June 26th exclusively to the PlayStation 4. And to round out today's show, 2019 was Call of Duty Endowment's biggest year yet, with more than 11,000 veterans placed in jobs. The Call of Duty Endowment had its biggest year ever in 2019, with more than 11,000 veterans placed in high-paying jobs upon returning to civilian life. 
The organization has now surpassed 66,000 total placements in pursuit of its goal of 100,000 by 2024. And Activision Blizzard CEO and Call of Duty Endowment co-founder Bobby Kotick said, quote, Last year, we placed 11,661 heroes into new jobs, and our cost of placement remains a fraction of the Department of Labor's placement expense. The average starting salary is over $60,000, and over 81% of our placements are in jobs lasting one year or longer. The Call of Duty Endowment team continues to lead our efforts with excellence, end quote. The organization releases a series of stats for 2019, highlighting the growing impact of the Call of Duty endowment and, of course, what it's had in its past 10 years. These stats include analysis of the economic value of placed veterans, retention rates, starting salaries, and the general reach in its many campaigns during the year. Call of Duty 2019 stats include veterans placed 11,661, $700 million plus in the economic value created through the veteran first year salaries. The average cost per placement is $499, one-sixth of the Department of Labor's cost, and of course there are more statistics down through there. But during 2019, Call of Duty Endowment partnered with the number of organizations to bring awareness to its cause. It launched the quote, Hashtag Higher Honor campaign featuring former Secretary of Defense James Mattis. Call of Duty Modern Warfare received a downloadable pack of digital items with proceeds going to code, and Crash Team Racing even joined in with an exclusive retro warplane carp. There was an exclusive PS4 theme to raise funds for code and the campaign with GameStop, as well as the launch of the inaugural Code Bowl, which saw a variety of streamers and service members placing Call of Duty, or excuse me, playing Call of Duty while raising money and awareness. Call of Duty Endowment has seen constant growth as a games for good organization with its goals for placing veterans in high paying civilian jobs more efficiently and at a reduced cost than government aid programs. And of course, very good job to the people over there at the Call of Duty Endowment. I always love talking about this movement. I always love uh, sharing the word about it. And on top of that, I love hearing success stories about how good it is doing. Of course, this has been around for years. I remember whenever it launched alongside, I believe, Modern Warfare 2. Could be wrong about that. Uh, but I specifically remember getting involved with it with Modern Warfare 3. And it's just continued to grow further and further from there. So congratulations to those placed by the the program and on top of that, good job to those organizing it to keep those hard-earned jobs coming. But that rounds out today's episode of the Jam Pack Report. If you enjoyed this one, drop me a like down below. And of course, let me know what you think about today's gaming news. I always love to hear your thoughts. But until next time, you guys have a fantastic rest of your night. I'll talk to you soon and peace.